everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And I'm Diana, a.k.a. Mod, and welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. Happy October, everybody! Happy Spoopoween! And October means we do scary movies. I, I guess. I mean, this year we're doing scary movies in October. Last year we did exactly one scary movie in October. Yes, we did Scream. Which you still have to rewatch uh, because you're a doofus and you checked out. And I admitted it. That's fair. On audio. And then we did go see it in the theaters. That kind of counts, I guess. It's a scary movie. Does the Phantom Thread count as a scary movie? No. How would that be a scary movie? It was a little scary. She tried to poison him. Spoiler alert. <laughs> It's from a year ago, guys. So, David has seen almost no scary movies. No, not really. No, especially the classics. I have seen The Exorcist, thank you very much. Woohoo, this is me waving my pennant flag. And I've seen Rosemary's Baby, and somebody else at this table can't say that they've seen that piece of garbage. That's correct, I have not seen that piece of garbage. But you, you've just not seen a lot of these classic films. So, I think there's a few reasons for that. One's one we've talked about for a long time, which is rated R movies were not okay in my house. Okay. That precluded a lot of the, the scary stuff coming in. Mm-hmm. But later on, come to find out, I'm not really scared by scary movies. Okay. The things that scare me are more the weird and the kind of awe-inspiring type of scary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 2001 freaked me the fuck out for a long time. Okay. And that is not a scary movie. Hmm. It is trippy and weird. The things that make you physically uncomfortable. Not, not so much that. Things that burrow into your brain and make you have to think about the horror are what really freak me out. Okay. Body horror really gets me. Yeah, I can't really do body horror. I mean, when it's done really well, and it's not done super exploitatively, Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to do because it can just turn into torture porn. Mm. When somebody can do it incredibly artfully with an idea and thought behind it, it's Mm -hmm. really, really cool to watch, but it is hard. But that's the stuff that scares me. Slasher and jump scares, they don't really do a whole lot for me. See, for me, it's the creepy element, which really gets to me. I couldn't watch Lost alone at night because of the creepy factor. And see, creepy just makes me excited. Like, I view that almost like an adventure movie type thing. But see, I still enjoy it. Like, The Walking Dead, when we were still watching that early in the beginning, I'm not a zombie film person at all, but I loved The Walking Dead at the beginning. That show would creep me out and give me all the tinglies, but I still enjoyed it. And when I was younger, I had a friend who was obsessed with horror films, so that was all she wanted to watch. And I didn't want to not be cool, so I'd watch them too, but they would freak me the fuck out (laughs) and now i look at him as a very weird storytelling device weird uh yeah i I think they're pretty conventional in how they tell stories well it's just that the focus is on the violence that's being enacted it depends on what kind of horror movie and the suspense 
Whereas, you know, that's not the case on a show like Mad Men. I also saw The Ring, and that kept me awake for a couple Yeah, The Ring freaked me out for a long time. Anytime you do a series of discordant images that don't match up together, that always gets me. That always makes me go, what the fuck? Hmm. But there's an element now where it used to ju- where that creeped me out, but now it's become a, a thing for me where it's like, I want to understand. Mm-hmm. I've been really getting into weird, weird stories and weird tales and quote unquote weird fiction, mm-hmm. things like Lovecraft. And, and what's really interesting about that is what's not told to you. The mm-hmm. entire point of the horror is it's so majestic and almost awesome that it's indescribable how terrifying it is. Hmm. And that is really interesting because in my head, I'm like, but what, what, what is it? How is it te- that terrible? And you fill those gaps in and it makes it just fascinating and dark and twisted. Hmm. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good time. That also doesn't sound like Saw. So, <laughs> so we're, we're watching Saw this week, a film that neither of us have seen, but is a huge newer franchise in the horror film industry it's 2004 very small budget film 1.2 million dollars grossed 103 million two strangers who awaken in a room with no recollection of how they got there soon discover their pawns in a deadly game perpetrated by a notorious serial killer this is the one we wanted to start out on being the more recent of the films we're going to be watching and just kind of to be a a amuse-bouche if you will on the horror films we're going to go through. So, okay. Saw, why didn't you see this? It was 2004. Well, I wouldn't have seen rated R movies still at this point by myself. Okay. Because I wasn't old enough to go by myself at this mm-hmm. point. And, you know, horror horror hadn't been a big thing. I know at the time this wasn't a big movie. Like, I remember this only coming out in limited release. It was only in smaller theaters. It wasn't a big, gigantic deal. It just got a lot of notoriety and play. Because it didn't become a thing until about the second or third movie. You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. Okay, well, it didn't become a thing in my radar. That's fair. And and in, like, the broad cultural zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. It was a horror fan thing. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a big, you know, nationwide. Everybody knows what this thing is, there even if they've never seen it. There wasn't a huge advertising campaign until we got to two and three and right. so on. Correct. Right, right, right. But it was a big deal. This was the closing film for the Toronto International Film Festival. Seriously? Uh-huh. It sold out every single showing it had for three days. Guys. It was originally intended as a direct-to-video film, and the feedback was so great, they decided to give it a theatrical release. This is such a shitty movie. Eh. It's a really bad movie, execution-wise. <sighs> Ex- I'll give you the execution. It's not the best. However, it's not deserving of a premiere closing at the Toronto International Film Festival. Although in 2004, had TIFF become the big giant Oscar predictor that it is now? That's another really good question. Well, and also, first time writer, second time director for James Wan, $1.2 million budget. Think about what they did with that money. They did a lot. A lot that I didn't like. Okay, that's fair. But they still did a lot. I will grant them that they made some very interesting, specific choices. Mm-hmm. I hated almost all of them. Okay. And that's wish fair. they had done it differently. Okay, that's fair. And as the movie went on, I felt like 
they never earned the big climactic ending that they were trying to get out of me. The emotional response they wanted to elicit, I never felt like they earned that from me. Okay. And so I just got mad by the end of the movie okay. because they hadn't they hadn't done it. Hmm. And they made these choices that didn't work for me. Okay. I mean, I don't entirely agree, but we'll nit- we'll start nitpicking it as we get through it, as we usually do. We're going to do writer. It was written by Lee Wanell and James Wan. James Wan is also our director, and then Lee Wanell plays Adam, one of the leads of the movie. So there's going to be some crossover when we talk about all that, and that's just going to happen. We're going to be okay with it. Of course, this is the first writing credit for either of them. This was their calling card in Hollywood. They that this is this is how they got a name for themselves. Well, they made a shit ton of money. Lee Wanell has gone on to as a writer. He did the Insidious series. He wrote Upgrade that we saw recently and really liked. Yeah. He's directed Insidious three and Upgrade, and then of course he's been he was in Saw. He was Insidious as a director. He's also has a cameo in Aquaman. And then James Wan, as a writer, did this. He did Insidious 2. He did the story for The Nun and the story for Aquaman. And, you know, he's also directing Aquaman. So story. Let's focus on our story. I think the story is solid. There's a few gaps that I wish we had filled in early Mm -hmm. on at this point. It takes us way too long to figure out what this guy's motivation is. Like for me, with a serial killer, get to the point Mm -hmm. in understanding who he is. We can we can have the the freak out later. Mm-hmm. The motivation behind Jigsaw mm-hmm. is you know he's, he's dying. He's dying, and people don't appreciate the life they have. They're throwing it away. So I don't feel like that's really ever integrated into the stories of these people. Like I don't feel like they give much lip service ever, except to our two main characters. Mm-hmm kind of why they don't appreciate things like Carrie Elway's character does get a bunch of that and really the reason that it falls flat is because of his acting correct we never buy it correct but for everybody else we don't ever have enough time to understand what their actual story was Mm -hmm. it's buried in some kind of exposition yeah I still don't know why Adam was a bad dude what what doesn't he appreciate about life? Yeah. Although he's left alive, so maybe his entire purpose here is to be a living reminder and document of what happened. No, he's not. He's left to die alone in that room. We don't know. We Now, okay, standard horror film rules. If you do not see them die, we do not know that they are dead. Absolutely. We are, we have not watched any other films. We know a few things based on reading trivia and just... Well, it's existing been nearly, in the universe. It's been nearly 15 years, so stuff's going to leak out through different plot points. True. But in terms of this film, Adam's character is told, you have to get yourself free from your chain so you can escape. Larry, or Lawrence, I'm probably going to go back and forth and calling him that, he is told... Kill Adam. You have to kill Adam if you want to escape, or you'll be left in this room to die. The opposite fate is what occurs for both of them. Adam's left in that room to die, and Larry cuts his foot off so he can get away from his chain, and he leaves. So, that's weird, but also kind of, like, poetic in its oppositeness. See, I feel like that's film school poetic. That's fine. It absolutely is. Where I it's 100% like, okay, agree. look at how poetic and, and mirror image and dramatic it is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, but it doesn't make any sense, dude. Like, first and foremost... There has to be a logic. If the logic's not there, your metaphor is bullshit. 
I, I can't give you credit for a metaphor that doesn't that that never paid off when you didn't explain that. If you had taken the time with each of those individual mm-hmm. murders to explain what was wrong with this person. Yeah. I mean, we, all we get is him saying, you know, well, you tried to kill yourself in real life. Well, we need to see that in that character. Yeah, we need... We, the we guy who tried to cut himself, we need to see his suicide attempt. We see so much background for Lawrence that is done really badly. Oh, boy. That stuff is really hard to watch, just in that it's just so soap opera crappily done. And again, brand new people, no budget. They still did a lot. They get, well, they get points for that. And and I, I, I know who to blame for that, so... Yeah, but they leaned too heavily on some of that. Yes. I almost would have liked... Uh, you could have cut all of the scenes with Allison and Diana, and it would have been fine. Like, we could have had the phone call, we could have had the picture, and then we'd have been done. And that would have been great. No, you do need that that final showdown with them, because you do need to understand what's happening to Zeb. That's an integral (laughs) plot point there, that why does he have to go run and go after the guy? And there's some level of that. Plot-wise, it ties in, but you don't need nearly as much as you have. And you don't need their characters' motivations mm-hmm. to somehow be explained to you. And I kind of could have cut the entire police storyline. Yeah, you could cut almost all of that out. The only reason to keep it is if somehow it's actually going to pay off. Correct. And it didn't, ever. There's so many loose threads in this script that it just gets frustrating after I, I a while. I think that's the part where it's too much. Yeah. There's too much is going on. I will say, everything that happens in the room, I like. I like the problem. The The problem being two guys who theoretically don't know each other are stuck in a room with a dead body, and they don't know why, and they have to figure out how to get out. Yeah, that's fine. I love that problem. That's great. I also really love, because I did not know this was going to happen, and I was actually surprised... That the guy's not actually dead, and that's actually Jigsaw. Yeah. That was like, oh, well, fuck. All right. They did a good job of masking that for a while. To me, it was a surprise, but mm-hmm. not a shock. Partly because as soon as he gets up, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the guy who plays Jigsaw. I, I was like, oh, I remember this actor. So, okay. We like the story. We don't love the execution of said story. No. I, I like the kernel and nugget that they're presenting here. Mm-hmm. But everything branching out from that was so shoddy and left open. And then, oh, the dialogue. The dialogue is so terrible. It's not good. Even in the room, the dialogue between Adam and and Lawrence is maybe the best part. And it's bad. Like, they do not talk like human people. Again, Adam's fine. Adam sells the fuck out of it. Yeah, but it's still bad. I I agree. The actual dialogue itself is still dumb from Mm -hmm. him. Like, I... Nothing sounds like real people talking to each Mm -hmm. other. And that's a huge problem. If you're going to do a movie with this canned a setting, Mm -hmm. these two people have to be real. Mm -hmm. And when they're not, what's the point? I don't disagree. So I I think there's a really good idea that these and story these guys came up with, but I don't think it's good writing at all. Okay. I mean, it's better than Slapshot. I'm just, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to give that away. Is there anything that's worse than Slapshot? I, we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> it probably exists. Somewhere out there. All right, let's move on to our director, James Wan. Uh, this is his second film. 
He did Insidious 1 and 2, The Conjuring 1 and 2, The Furious 7, which was enjoyable for a crappy car chasey blow up movie, and he's doing Aquaman, which I'm very excited about. I really like Jason Momoa, and he's hot, so I don't care. I don't think this guy understands how to actually pull a story together as a director. I think he's really good at directing scenes, but not at directing movies. This film could use some re-editing of scenes, reordering of some scenes, to make it a little bit better. Well, to make it a lot better. Yes. <laughs> the scenes themselves that don't involve, like the at, the fight scene with Diana and Zep, but it's stupid. I don't like it. I don't care. Yeah. It's very clumsy. It's very film school. <laughs> yeah. It's very film school. The The chase sequences, you know, running down the hallways or whatever very amateurish the scenes in the room are actually pretty well constructed considering you have one person on one side of the room and one person on another they're they're decent it is competently filmed yeah there's there is a huge problem with this movie of we are still pre-digital fair and i can't remember what movie we talked about but there was a level of had this been on digital film it would have been eight thousand times better there's another one like that, and I just don't remember which one it was. Hmm. It was right around the same time, though. Hmm. But in any I... case, because it's on film and because there's a low budget, mm-hmm. they don't, you know. You I... don't have the same freedom. Well, maybe one of the best tension style scenes in the movie is the drug addict with the locked jaw. Mm-hmm. Whatever the, the, bear, the reverse, reverse bear, bear trap. trap. That scene is maybe one of the best in the movie. But one of the biggest reasons it doesn't work, and this isn't James Wan's fault, this is a budget issue, is that the lighting feels real fake. Like, it should be almost pitch black. Jigsaw Mm -hmm. should come out of a shadow when he comes in on that bike. Mm -hmm. There should be total different types of cross lighting. The sets should look Mm -hmm. either much grimier or just nothing at all. She should be completely disoriented. I mean... it doesn't look creepy mm-hmm. because they don't have the money to light it to make it look that way. There's a huge issue with everything being way too bright and in focus, which mm-hmm. is not, and maybe that's a personal thing. When I watch a horror movie, I want it to be as dark as humanly possible so that there are things coming out from nowhere. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't pull that off with these No, scenes. they definitely couldn't. So if that's the best scene in the movie... Then, you know, the, as we get into the worse and worse scenes, it just looks even worse and worse. Until we get to the point with the family scenes where it's just like, this looks uh, like a Hallmark The family scenes movie. are the worst scenes. Oh, yeah. And then there's these editing tricks that they try to pull by the mishmash. And, you know, part there's another, there's another decision that I think was made in the writing where we keep repeating the same scenes over and over again, which sometimes works. But they repeated, like, a whole fucking scene that we've already seen. Oh, with the surveillance cameras? Well, the, not the surveillance cameras, but, like, okay, we watch we watch when he gets photographed, right? Mm-hmm. And we see that scene maybe three different times. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's a five-minute span between the first and second time, and they literally replay the entire fucking scene. I was like, show me two seconds of it. I just watched this. Yeah, uh, they ran out of time and money. Editing. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, it's that, which is why when we see it again, we're getting a voiceover with someone narrating a different part. I mean, 
and that's how the surveillance footage came out. They had to take old footage and they doctored it to make it look like it was from the surveillance camera because they didn't have the coverage that they needed for that spot. And that, and that kind of works. Still, there was so much of it that they used. Mm-hmm. Like, once you get in that editing room, okay, you've got the clip. I guess the problem is, you know, if you're going to have to repeat this part three different times, you can't hack it because then you can't cut it back into the film. But still, there is this level of you you just made me sit through 30 seconds of this scene and now mm-hmm. you're making me rewatch the same 30 seconds. I'm done with it. Eh. Move on with the story, please. That comes back to they focused a little too much on the flashbacks with Lawrence. Yeah. The flashback with Jigsaw's previous crimes is fine. It makes sense um, for establishing why this is a known killer. But they did too much with Lawrence. It just occurs to me that there's a level at which this is going to get real film school on it. They're trying to operate using the Rashomon story style. Rashomon being the Kurosawa film, which was one of the first to single story told from three different perspectives. Mm. And slowly merge together and they're trying to do a Rashomon thing but part of the problem is if we're gonna do let's say we have that Lawrence scene right Mm -hmm. the way you do that is again budget but you film the different angles angles of how that scene works Uh, and and then when you cut to that person's story it's from the new angle it's from their angle and then we follow them so we would follow Zepp we would follow Adam following Lawrence more than that one shot that we have of him that's no, what I, I kept wanting, I, and it and didn't happen fine. because they couldn't do that. We we do have to calibrate our expectations for first-time writers, first-time director, tiny budget film. You just do. You know, for me, when you don't have that coverage, that means you didn't think your script well out enough to be able to pull it off. That's usually what it comes down to is you, the writer, yeah, things can happen on a set, but mm-hmm. you, the writer, didn't think that out clear enough Maybe. in order to pull off what you needed to pull off. Well, they're doing just fine. <laughs> we did not have that problem with Upgrade. We didn't. And so they learned. Yeah. Clearly. Mm-hmm. But. And, I, and James Wan has clearly upped his directing game. Yeah. Pe- I mean, people have mm-hmm. been saying The Conjuring's one of the most amazing horror movies ever made. So. Yeah, I definitely can't do that. I'll die. <laughs> I'll never be able to leave the house. <laughs> I will hurt you. But what if I just did that noise throughout the entire time while we watched it? I will say, the moment <laughs> where they're screaming, Diana, I looked at Dave and said, you are never allowed to say that to me. You are never allowed to do this to me. <laughs> like, they were repeating that it's the daughter's name. I was like, nope, nope, can't do it. If you do it to me, I'll murder you. All right, so let's move on to our cast. Of course, <sighs> of course we start with Lee Wano. We start with Lee Wano? He's first build. He's Adam. Okay, I guess. He's great. He's fine. He does fine. He, I don't, I kept thinking he was Ezra Miller. I kept thinking he was weird, scruffy Ed Burns. No. Young Ed Burns. I don't get young Ed Burns at all. Like sometimes the way he says some words, but he looks so much like Ezra Miller with like some shaggy hair when his hair's in his face. Except Ezra Miller's like 15 years younger than him. Okay. But they have a very similar facial structure. Ezra Miller's also a lot shorter, but I don't care. That's the vibes I was getting. I enjoyed Adam in the Lee room. Monel should stick to his day job. Acting is not his thing. Okay, well, he's doing just fine. I just, I don't buy him that much in this in this role. I think way too often he's 
when we have an actual horror scene, he's great. But when he has to talk as a character, I don't buy it at all. I liked him a lot. I just, I was, I was fine with it when he was in the room. Outside the room, couldn't stand him. On the other hand, maybe that's because his co-star was so bad. Okay. I just need to say this for the record, that I love Carrie Ellis. Carrie Ellis is good. He will forever be Wesley. And He's that amazing. cannot be taken away from me. No. We're speaking, of course, of his character from The Princess Bride. He's been on every TV show known to man. He was in Hot Shots. Mm-hmm. He was in Twister. Uh, he was on Life in Pieces recently. And spoiler alert for Stranger Things, he's going to be in season three. Ooh. I'm so excited about that. So excited. That might be a nice redemption for him. Yeah, because this is, he should be embarrassed by this. He's so bad in this movie. He is so horrible. And I have always enjoyed watching him anytime I see him. I'm we know he can act. I'm struggling to understand what lack of direction they gave him that forced him into this stiffness that he's doing. They shot this film in 18 days. Uh-huh. They had no rehearsals. All rehearsals were filmed. Not an excuse. I understand. I'm just saying everything on screen everything we see came from something they did not waste a second if you were in that room it was filmed i mean i feel like lesser actors have given better performances oh i don't disagree in shorter amounts of filming time this was a part of the recipe of the crappy performance we got from carrie ellis i i still don't think that that precludes how bad he is i mean first of all if you're a prepared actor Mm -hmm. You already you already have a vision of it. Like, let's say a Nick Cage did this. I don't think he'd be right for this role, but let's say Nick Cage did it. Nick Cage, regardless of how balls crazy he went, would have had a point of view yeah, the no, second I, he got I, on I, the I set. I fully agree. Carrie Ellis' accent changes throughout the film. Which is fucking weird. Okay, what is his actual accent? I think he's Australian. Okay. Damn it, I gotta Google it now. <laughs> you can't ask a question like that. <laughs> And not get an answer. IMDb. Where are you from, Carrie Ellis? <laughs> He's from Westminster, London, England. He's British. See, I didn't know that. I always thought he was American. I no, I always knew he was not American. I thought he was Australian. Hmm. Well, hmm. He, whatever. Yeah, his accent goes all over the freaking place, which means he didn't devote any time to do that. Which is shocking, because he's done American accents before. And well, competently. Or he could have just used his own accent. He didn't make a choice. He didn't make any choices. No, he didn't. I don't think he understood his character's problem. I think that's the problem. That's the problem. He didn't understand his character's problem. Well, what would you define his character's problem as? He's stuck in a room, and he has to figure out how to get out. That's his problem. That's the problem for both of them. And I don't think he understood that. I don't. Th- there's there's a much deeper subtext. What is his actual problem? His actual problem is he doesn't appreciate his life no. and all the privilege he's been given. In of it. course. And he is being forced to come to reckon with that by okay. ha- you know by eventually sawing his own foot off. Okay, that's the deeper motivation problem for his character. But in the immediate but, portion of the room. But in the immediate, wake up. Where am I? Why am I here? He didn't seem to understand that. He's too passive. You know what these guys should have done? Hmm. They should have given him the script in piecemeal. That could have worked. They should have, okay, here's this first portion. 
granted, that's another, well, we only have 18 days to film this, but let's say you want this best performance of this guy and he doesn't understand it. It's like, okay, we're only giving you this part of the script. They did film the room in sequence so that they could heighten the tension. Well, then again. Yeah, no, I agree. But I I could understand being like, because of how we want to do this, they could have other said, we're not going to have a script, but this is the outline of what's going to happen. Go. That would have been great. Either those way, scenes. there there were there were there were different ways you could have achieved that as a director mm-hmm. and safely, by the way, and you know not you don't want those guys to be in danger, but it's just okay. We're giving you this portion of the script, and yeah. as we go along, you're not going to realize what the stakes are until you get the next part. I think the best part of his acting was when he was unconscious from being electrocuted, <laughs> and we made a lot of Wesley jokes. He's only nearly dead. Well, my biggest problem was that. At the end, he does become convincing mm-hmm. of how intense he is. But the problem is, is he gets there from barely a register of frustration. Mm-hmm. Like he's only finally starting to show a little bit of cracking yeah. and then just loses his fucking mind all of a sudden. It cuts his foot off. And at that point, I was like, well, this is where I did want you to get. But we should have gotten here a little bit earlier. I mean, you saw me on the bed. I was just like, you didn't fucking earn it. No, I agree. And it I just agree. made me angry because I was like, I wanted you to get here. I wanted mm-hmm. to see this, but I don't believe it, any of it. Mm-hmm. It's really frustrating, especially because of Carrie Elways. Oh, I agree that he's the problem. He's the biggest problem. He's the biggest problem, and he didn't have to be. I he's agree. a very competent actor mm-hmm. who's been doing this for a long time. I don't understand how you aren't prepared for this. He was their big name. Yeah. I mean, him and Danny Glover, but he was the meat. Well, he was the bait to get people to come mm-hmm. to buy this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, they went. They went. I know they went. They went a lot. All right, so now we've shat on him long enough. <laughs> All right, next we got Danny Glover, which I'm not going to talk about his crazy... Cra- you know who Danny Glover is. We adore him. He's not good in this movie. He's Danny Glover. I know. Uh, like, we were like, what is his problem? And I just looked at David and said, he got too old for this shit. That's <laughs> <laughs> really what it is. I think this is a writing issue. We talked about the cops, mm-hmm. you know, not being yeah. the most well-written part. I think we sort of have the opposite here of Glover, who is a consummate mm-hmm. actor, and is game for fucking anything. Yes, and that guy absolutely. has talked about it. Oh, he, That he's like, I will do whatever he's all movies in. offer. He is all in from the beginning. And yeah. I appreciate that. His biggest problem is he doesn't have enough to work with Fair. as a character. Absolutely. So he's really digging into mm-hmm. whatever he can, but there's not, there's connective tissue that's missing mm-hmm. that doesn't get him from point A to point B. He's also so desperate from the very beginning, and it doesn't make any sense. Well, he's not desperate. He's a tropey cop character. He, I guess he's, that's what he's it playing like. He the... feels very. Like, it feels personal before we know why it's personal. Well, you know who did this well? Who? was McConaughey in True Detective. Yes. Where? Yeah. Love. Love. True Detective season one. We'll ignore season three, two. We're very excited about season three. But the darkness in Rust Cole is bought and purchased immediately mm-hmm. and then pays off the more we learn his story. Correct. It slowly builds over time in the right amount in the right increment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Danny Glover, he... He showed up to work, and he did a good job. He worked for two days. Did the best he could. Yep. With what he had. No, I don't blame him at all. No. Next, we have Ken Lung, 
uh, who played Detective Singh. He's Danny Glover's, uh, what you call it? Partner. Partner. Don't buy him at all in that role. He's very stiff. He was Miles on Lost. That was probably his most famous thing to date. But he was also in Inside Man, uh, The Squid and the Whale. He was on a bunch of Law and Order. He was on Persons of Interest for a couple episodes with a fellow cast member, Michael Emerson. And then he's also on the Inhumans TV show. A little Lost reunion going on it, in this it's, it's movie. It's before Lost. We're like, hey, we know those two people. Yeah. I like him as an actor. Uh, in this, he's just, not ble- he's just very stiff. Putting him opposite Danny Glover was a bad move. Yeah, it was. You needed somebody different, and you needed somebody with a lighter touch. Correct. Ken Lung always has a little bit of intensity with him. I just, I do not buy him as a cop working alongside Danny Glover. Correct. I agree. All right, next we go on to our favorite lost person ever, Michael Emerson as Zep Hindle. He's not our favorite lost person ever. Okay, he's not my, He actually he kind of is. I go back and forth. I really love Charlie. Charlie's the best. Charlie's my heart. It's a 1A and 1B. True. But Charlie pulls at your heartstrings. Ben Linus is so devilishly wonderful. He's he's just so amazing. That character from day one was menacing, and I loved him. Also, Michael Emerson is just a fantastic actor and, honestly, does an okay job. Uh, again, he had very little to work with, but he showed up to work. Out of any, Out of everybody in the peripheral cast... He really does come off as believable. Doesn't hurt that he kind of has child molester face. He does creepy real well. Yeah, he does. But he manages to dig out some subtext where there is none Mm -hmm. and put it in his character. Yeah. He manages to make it work. Again, I just wish that we'd had a little more time with his character in Jigsaw Mm -hmm. to flesh out his His, actual motivations for these scenes. Yeah, his why. We didn't get that. Because... He shouldn't be torturing those two. Mm-hmm. He should be conflicted. Instead of, you know, doing the heartbeat with the gun with the little girl because mm-hmm. he's a creeper. Instead, it should be, I'm pointing the gun and then I can't do it. And then I'm going to shoot him. And he's trying to figure out what to do. And yeah. maybe he's violent in the interim because mm-hmm. he's freaking out. He thinks he's going to die. Originally, they were going to have Zep mess around with Allison's underwear drawer. But they decided that that would take it to too creepy of a place, so they did the heartbeat thing instead. He didn't have to do either. All right, next we have Tobin Bell, Mr. Jigsaw himself, also known as John Kramer. All we have is his voice. We have his voice. He is he is the person in the gurney in the hospital. True. And then we have him get up and walk out and shut a door. <laughs> right. We can't judge anything for him without honestly seeing the rest of the series. Like, there. I feel like there's not a whole lot you can say about him just from this movie. Yeah, I mean, him as an actor, he's pretty good. He's had a ton of small cameos on TV. He was on the Qu- he was in the Quick and the Dead. He had a run on 24, The Flash, and then he's got a ton of movies coming out in the next year or so. He will now and forever be Jigsaw, mm-hmm. uh, along he, with Freddy and, and he's, Jason. He's he will, Freddy, Jason, and Michael Myers. He is now, he is this generation's new serial killer friend in in film yep i will say this have it we watched this about two days ago and now i want to watch the next couple saws because i want to kind of know how they continue telling the story that's where for me there is an element of success in that i want to know how the story continues i'm not opposed Mm -hmm. but i'm not this movie doesn't make me want to go see him anymore 
then I mean, it I, mean, I wouldn't would want to see it in the theater, but I'm curious. Well, no, it just yeah. it, it's not like this movie makes me any more or less interested in seeing any of the sequels. Mm-hmm. Before we finish out the cast, I know there's more people, but they had such tiny scenes. I don't care. So we're just going to do the random people of note. We've got Benito Martinez. Uh-huh. He plays Brett, one of the, uh, not attorneys, one of the cops. No, he's an attorney. Is he? Yeah, he's, he's. Oh, yeah. Okay. Carrie always is attorney. <laughs> I just knew he was in that room. I couldn't remember. Whatever. Where. Sons of Anarchy. Son, no. And the, the shield. shield. He was in both. What? Oh, he was at the very end. Sons of Anarchy. I'm still angry about that show and how it ended. <laughs> Nah. Then we have Mackenzie Vega, who plays Diana, their daughter. She played Grace Florick on The Good Wife, so I love her. And then we have Monica Potter, who played Allison, Larry's wife. Of course, she was on Parenthood. You know, I mean, seen of, her. of course. Of course. Of course. That's because funny. I know Parenthood very well. You should, because it's lovely. Blah. Yeah, it's one of those feeling shows. Boo feelings. Yeah, yeah, that's why we're going to watch torture porn. Yeah. All right, well, now we're going to get into trivia. We've covered some of this. Uh, Lee Wanell actually punched Michael Emerson in the face in that final fight scene. Cool. It was an accident, but it worked. The car chases were filmed in a parking garage with the lights turned off. They filled it with fog, and then they were pushing on the cars to make them go back and forth. Yeah. I was like, that's cool. Camera tricks are... Mm-hmm. Worth every penny if you can pull it off. Absolutely. Adam putting his hand in the toilet, that was their little homage to train spotting. Okay. Have you seen Why? No, I've seen train spotting. Okay. Why is there an homage to a heroin junkie movie in a torture porn horror flick? I don't get it. That's uh, a dumb reference. Danny Boyle loving that movie, low budget film. Yeah. That reference makes no sense to me whatsoever. Whatever. When uh, Lee Wanell and James Wan set out to write this script, they realized that they could only really afford for a film to take place in one room. So that's where the, how they started with this. Yeah. So the, so the the bathroom is the only room that was actually built for the film. This film kind of came out from nightmares that they both have. Being chained up, being trapped in a room, having to saw off. Yeah, like all that type of stuff. Um, it was originally given an NC-17 rating. They had to remove some of the gore from the flashback murders in order to secure the proper rating. We watched the theatrical release, not the uncut version. I wonder. Hmm. I wonder. Uh, Lee Wanell performed the beginning bathtub stunt, if you will, by having a crew member stand on top of him so he could be submerged properly. Weird. Don't know why you'd do that to yourself, but okay. So this film was originally a short. They did a little short of the bear trap. Okay. That was kind of how they sold the studio on letting them do the real film. Yeah. But Lee Wanell did it. And because they didn't have any money for tricks, he actually had to put an actual bear trap in his mouth. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. Yep. I don't know. I feel like we've said it. I know other people have said it. Subverted Trip said it a lot in time, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't do that bullshit to yourself. Don't fucking do that. There are cheap and easy ways to figure that out. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, I'm glad it went okay and he was safe, but seriously. Mm. And maybe it was that they used a bear trap but pulled the springs out and everything. Yeah, it's possible, but Seriously. Just have a great idea, but don't put yourself in fucking danger to pull it off. 
Just don't be stupid. Uh, it, it sounds like it was mostly that it was gross, rusty and gross, and he had to put it in his mouth. Yeah, well. Originally, they had Adam and Larry trapped in an elevator. That was their first thought. That would have been dumb. Would have been dumb. But it depends on the type of elevator. There's not enough clues. There's not enough Correct. room or clues to pull that off. So, no. It, it wouldn't have lasted as long. No. Because then you got to have room for a dead body. Unlike most horror films, all of the victims who die are male. Huh. Well, the only person who gets away is a female. Okay. Was that intentional? I don't know, but I like it. No, that's fair. You know, we're going to see a lot of dead girls in the upcoming films. Yeah. That's just kind of a thing. James Wan did not take a salary. He took a percentage of the gross. So that was a gamble and that paid off really well for him. Nicely done. Carrie Elwes sued the production. He claimed, too, that he was paid a nominal fee for his performance and that he was supposed to receive 1% of the gross, which would have been a lot of money. Yeah. Considering, you know, it made $100 million. Uh, eventually, they settled for an undisclosed amount, but he refused to have anything to do with any sequels until the final chapter, okay. which is the last movie in this series. Except, Even though it was Except wasn't. for Jigsaw, which is kind of like a prequel, from my understanding. You know, normally I would say, get your money, do your job, but then you didn't do your fucking job in the first place, so no, I don't feel like you earned this, Carrie. I mean... If it, if it was, in fact, a breach of contract, then yeah, you should get paid what you were promised. And if you were in a film that made that much money, even if you were bad, if they signed the piece of paper that said, I'm going to pay you this much, you pay me this much. should be able to breach your own contract by doing a shitty job. Well, calm the fuck down. <laughs> Just calm it the fuck down, David. Gah. <sighs> anyway. I'm so mad at him. You're mad at him, not the movie. Um, I'm I'm not pleased with the movie. Yeah, All right, we've we've spent worse hours of our lives, so that's true. Yeah. So yeah, I'm curious about the other films. I'm definitely not gonna rush out, but it does make me want to kind of know. Okay, how do you continue the story? And I do like the ingenuity of the different traps. I really thought. This movie would disgust me more than it did. Right. I And I said, let's do this one first because I wanted to get it out of the way. Yeah. And, you know, I have a few creepy moments, but... It's no, right. it's it's not it's not that at all. It is much more a straight horror mm-hmm. convention movie than anything. So what is, what is our scale going to be? What is our scale going to be? It's your movie this week. <laughs> it's, well, it, they're all my movie. <laughs> because I've seen all of them except for two. Including this. Yeah, I didn't. I had never seen this before. Our first and our last films are ones I haven't seen. I mean, is it reverse bear traps? Well, okay, let's go with reverse bear traps. Because that's pretty ingenious. It's very good. I do. How many reverse bear traps am I going to give this? I'm going to go 2.5. 2.5 bear traps. Well, you talked about it. I thought you were going three. I mean, there, there are problems with the writing, and Carrie Ellis definitely lost them a full point. He was just bad. But, I mean, it's not something I'm going to watch on a rainy Sunday afternoon. But I'm curious, and I like the nugget that this film started with. I do. I like that a lot. I wanted to say two, but I'm going to go one and a half. Okay. Because I do like the nugget they started mm-hmm. with, and I think a lot of their choices, along with poor acting by the lead, mm-hmm. ruined that nugget. Okay. I think they've got a really interesting concept here that they didn't write well. Mm-hmm. They didn't plan well enough out, knowing their budget, which... If you're a first-time director, I understand you don't know that. But 
we've also seen Kevin Smith had $50,000 and managed to pull off a pretty damn decent movie. It's not mm-hmm. the best acted movie in the world. No. But on the other hand, you kind of believe everybody in that movie. His writing was solid. Exactly. That's the big problem. Is it? No, I don't disagree. Is that when you don't know what to anticipate, your script's got to be solid and tight. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And to me, they failed at that. Hmm. And because of that, everything snowballs out of that. I share that curiosity to some extent. I'm not real excited to just go out and watch it. If we decide to do it, I'll do it. But I, this movie mm-hmm. is not going to convince me towards that in any That's way. That's fair. No, I'm okay with that. So as a standalone movie, it's just not very good. I mean, I'm going to just say, I since Scott Patterson is a number three, that's kind of why I want to get to three. Scott Patterson being Luke from Gilmore Girls. Okay, what are we watching next week? We are going to do 1978's Halloween. <laughs> Curtis. Scream Queen. Scream Queen. The original Scream Queen. No, her mother was the original Scream Queen. Okay, well. Janet Lee. Whatever. And, you know, they're doing a continuation of this film specifically this year. So we'll see if this movie makes you want to see that movie. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.